Thank you, worship team. So we're going to dismiss children for Children's Church. That's ages 4 through 1st grade. And you can follow Mr. Kevin Wenzel out this north door. Oliver, nice haircut, buddy. He came and told me this morning, I got a haircut. So, good job. Well, it will be 23 years come the end of March that my wife Carrie and I have been married. And I'm not selling used cars. When I say, apart from knowing Jesus, Carrie is the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but, you know, marriage can start with a few bumps in the road. So we were gifted for our honeymoon a timeshare to the Bahamas, to the Grand Bahama Island. And that was very exciting. We were looking to, you know, get out of the wet, cold, dreary uh, Chicago weather and excited to enjoy the sunshine there. And so, you know, night after our wedding, we caught a flight down to Florida to Fort, Fort Lauderdale. And we're about ready to get on the, you know, at the transfer desk to go to the Bahamas. And they said, and Mr. Brand, do you have your passport? What? You, you, you need your passport? I thought all I needed was my driver's license. Oops. We were surprised unpleasantly surprised and that that was on me i have a passport i knew exactly where it was in my dresser drawer in my apartment and there we were stuck in fort lauderdale couldn't go on to the second flight to get to the grand bahama island so you know Less than 24 hours after being married, I wasn't exactly instilling confidence in my newfound wife. But, but praise God, we were actually able to uh, get my, my passport. And my in-laws actually went to our, our apartment, got it, and we did what's called a counter-to-counter transfer. If you're interested in knowing how that works, you can come talk to me afterward. But the next day, we were able to rebook the flight get on the plane, and, you know, go on our honeymoon in the Grand Bahama Islands. So, we were almost, we were surprised and almost gravely disappointed because I wasn't vigilant in finding out what were the requirements to enter the country. We were surprised. Today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to meet a church that feels pretty good about itself. At least externally. But Jesus starts to address them. And it's revealed that, in a surprising way, things weren't going so well, actually, internally. And they're going to need to make some swift and decisive changes. Lest they end up missing more than just a week in the Bahamas. This is something that has eternal consequences. So, let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into what God has to say to us through His Word. So, Lord Jesus, I thank You that Your grace abounds. 
And Heavenly Father, you are the God of second chances. And you are constantly at work in our hearts when we stray. I think of the hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, and the lyric that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We pray that you'll do that kind of work today in our midst as we look into your word and what we hear from your address to your church, Lord Jesus, as you're addressing our hearts as well. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And give us grace to respond to you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray these things. Amen. So, let's read Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold, hold it fast and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Sardis. Church number five in our journey through the churches of Asia Minor. It's about 34 miles southeast of Thyatira. And it is a city that is living in its past glory. At one time, it was one of the most impregnable uh, fortress cities of the ancient world. It was the capital of the Lydian Empire. And it had a citadel that was 1,500 feet above the valley. And on the south side, there was a sheer vertical wall that just seemed virtually unscalable. The Greeks that were trying to populate the area, when they were talking about something that was impossible, they would say, yeah, conquer Sardis. Because it, was so, it seemed so impossible. And because of that, Sardis, or the sardines, I don't know what you call them. They felt confident that they didn't have to really worry about that south side, so they, they didn't even post anyone there to check it out. They just left it unguarded. Unfortunately, to their own peril, when Cyrus the Great came through in 546 B.C., there was one person that found the crevice and was able to scale it, and then sneak into the city and open the gate. Needless to say, they were surprised. And the same thing happened 
in 214 B.C. when a group of 15 were able to find a weakness and they were to scale that wall again and open the gate. And again, they were surprised and unpleasantly. Other things you need to know about Sardis is there was a temple to Artemis. And there's one in, in, in Ephesus too. But it kind of rivaled that. But it got destroyed in uh, 499 B.C. And then when Alexander the Great came through, he tried to rebuild it. And it got kind of rebuilt, but never got fully completed. It also had a large Jewish population. And the synagogue was actually built into a complex that was a gymnasium. Not quite like the rack or something that you know, we have here in town. But it, it was a place where you know, there was a lot of... The city people could do a lot of things baths, and I guess maybe exercise, what have you. But they were intermixing with the local Greeks or the local Gentiles. And that became a bit of a stumbling block. So much so they were so intermixed with their Greek neighbors that you could really had a hard time distinguishing. Were they really the separate holy people of God? They'd become just like the Greeks. And the question is, was this something that was happening to the church in Sardis itself? And so it's into these circumstances Jesus speaks to his church. And he says to the angel of the Sardis, in Sardis, write these, the word, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, the seven stars. Again, Jesus, he addresses each church in, you know, in a way that the way he attends to address them and what he wants to do with them. So the seven spirits of God, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's divided by seven parts. What it means is it's the complete work of the Holy Spirit in these seven churches. It's like, if you look in, in Zechariah chapter 4, I believe, there's the, the lampstands that are there. And there are seven lamps, seven lights on the lampstand, but they all have grooves that are being fed oil from one source. So each little channel that goes into each little area of that lampstand, so the Holy Spirit pours into each church. Also the seven stars, the seven angels of the church, we looked at this earlier. Was that a leader? Was that an actual being, uh, angelic being? I think most of us think that it's more so the ethos of each church. But here's the major point. Jesus is Lord of his church. Bringing correction, bringing encouragement, bringing judgment. And even saying, will this church continue? He knows everything about them, even if they are not aware of it. And so he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. What a surprising thing to hear. Literally, the Greek translates says you have a name for being alive. It was their brand per se, the reputation in the area. Yeah, that's the alive church. And what a great thing to have be true. Unfortunately, it was probably something that was true of them more so in the past than the current current reality. And they seem to have believed that moniker themselves 
But Jesus says otherwise. Yeah, you have a reputation for being alive, but the truth is you're dead or dying. Here's the question I want to ask as far as our own application. Are we surprised that our public reputation is not always what Jesus sees? You know, all the letters, if we, you know, look at the letters that have come thus far, there's always a little bit of commendation. You know, Ephesus, you're hardworking. Smyrna, you're persevering. Pergamum, you're faithful. Thyatira, your love, your faith, your service. You're doing more than you did at first. Man, way to go. I think Sardis was kind of going, and what about us? Yeah, you, you have a reputation for being alive. The truth is you're dead. Ooh. That's hard. That's hard. I guess here's the question we... We could ask, what, what's the reputation of Berean? And what is true of us? What's the reputation of Nathan Brand? And what is true of him? I think we can say that for each one of us. You know, yeah, there's the public reputation. But what's really true? What, would, what name would Jesus give us? And here's, here's also the question. Have we... Did we kind of peak spiritually sometime way back when and we're just kind of living on that reputation about what happened to us in college or high school or years past? Are we alive now to Christ? What name would he give us? Again, I think Sardis was genuinely surprised. And here's where their history intersects with their current spiritual state. Verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. And here's a question I ask along these lines. Are we surprised how far we can stray from Him. Are we surprised how far we can stray from Jesus? Now, I, don't, I don't know exactly what was causing them to redline spiritually. Was it, you know, they just kind of slowly been conforming to the world around them? Have they somehow adopted kind of some sort of universalist type of gospel, like, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's just as long as you're sincere. I don't know what was going on with them. Or maybe they're just caught up in the rat race of, of everyday life. You know, yeah, I've got the Jesus thing, now i just got to live the rest of my life. And you kind of forget about Him. We don't know. But somehow they'd gone adrift. They'd lost touch with Him their need for Him. And Jesus says, wake up! Wake up! Get your eyes back on Me and realize how far you've gone adrift. Are there things in our lives that are causing us to drift? Whether it's an attitude, 
Maybe it's some sort of besetting sin. We want to cling on to that. And it's pulling us away from Jesus. It might be just a wrong priority. It's, there's nothing wrong with it per se. But it's, it's taking our, our life away from Jesus. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics, but, you know, let's face it. If you want to be an Olympic athlete, you have to dedicate your life to that. And this last week, one of the Russian figure skaters only got silver. And she was kind of having a bit of a conniption fit about how she didn't get gold. And, and I'm, saying, I'm just thinking to myself, hey, uh, I, praise God for your, your amazing skating ability, but you know what? There's a lot more the rest of your life. That gold medal is not going to save you. And if you miss it, well, you know what? There are a lot of other people who don't have a gold medal either, but their lives can be complete too. This is a bad God. And it's taking you away from the God that wants to give you life. It's, as Darren quoted from, from Jeremiah, it's an empty cistern. We're looking for life. But straying away from Jesus can be like being out in the ocean and being caught up in a riptide. Have any of you ever experienced that? You're just kind of floating out in the ocean? You know, and it's all good. You can see the shore. You kind of laying there, enjoying the sun. Five minutes later, you thought you were here, but you're actually all the way over here. And you're much farther away from the shore than you thought. Because you've lost sight of it. Same thing can be true of us. We lose sight of Christ. We're a lot farther away from Him than we thought we were. And what we need to do is go back to our faith in Him. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Yes, the heart is there, but it needs CPR, and it needs it now. It needs attention. Get your eyes back on me. Make me central. Make me that fountain of life you're looking to. He says, I, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Is that an allusion to the incomplete temple of you know, Artemis in, in that city? I don't know. But I don't think Jesus was talking about a building project. I think what Jesus is talking about is an incomplete faith because it lacks continuing in faith. Let me say that again. It's an incomplete faith because it lacks continuing in faith. See, sometimes I think in our evangelical circles, we place such a high priority on when did you put your faith in Christ? When did you pray the prayer at VBS? When did you raise your hand? When did you walk down the aisle? And that's a good starting place. Hey, when, when the light goes on, we can celebrate that. That's awesome. And sometimes maybe we look at it as, as a season. Yeah, you know, when I was in college, man, I was, I was really on fire for the Lord. The question is, not what were you doing in college? What are you doing now? Are you continuing in the faith? Because that's what Jesus wants. 
you to continue to follow him. Continue to walk with him. Continue to abide in him. This is what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace, would say. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. All right, praise God. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Continue in your faith. It's what theologians call perseverance of the saints. Continually walk out your faith with Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to not hear, okay? I am not proclaiming any kind of a moral perfection or oh, uh, you know, salvation generated by works. That's not what I am suggesting. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the gospel. But we have to know that Jesus wants us to continue. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I've been following Jesus for more than 43 years. I can't even, I can't even really pin a date on when I really put my faith in Christ, but I'm just going to use you know, my baptism as kind of a date to look at. And I came from a very dynamic youth group. A lot of kids around me seemingly fired up about following Jesus. I look back, a lot of those grown-ups now are not following Him. They're not following Him. They're not continuing in their faith. You see, many believe in Jesus, but are not following Him. But you can't follow Jesus and not believe in Him. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But we need to continue. And he says, go back to where it started. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. The gospel. What Christ has done for us. And his teachings. And his word. And you and I will never outgrow that. There will never be a day like, hey, you know, I've arrived. I don't need that anymore. No, it's an everyday thing where I'm walking with him saying, Jesus, what do you have for me today? How can I allow you to live your life in me and through me today? He says, take it and hold it fast. Literally, keep it. Do it. Believe what it says and then act on it. That's alive faith. And if you're going the wrong way, then repent. Turn back. Turn back. If you found that you're, you're drifting, turn back to Him. And, and maybe be more vigilant about those things that are leading you astray. Don't think that you've got that vertical wall that you don't need to pay attention to in your life. You know, I was a drama major in college. So I love story. I love theater. 
I love movies and things of that nature. But sometimes those things take me down the wrong pathway. Anyone know what Proverbs 4.23 says? Just off the top, top of your head. Don't look it up. It says, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. I write that in every graduation party I go to. I always write that in that person's, that person's uh, memory book that day. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of your life. There are some things I just go, you know what? I can't watch that. I can't listen to that. Because it's taking my heart down the wrong way. It's causing me to stray. It's, it, and, and sometimes, you know, it's not always stuff that we think, you know, is whether it's blatant sexuality or something like that. It just might be a, an attitude. An attitude of fear. Or an attitude of anger. And it's causing me to stray from the heart of Christ. And so I just said, I, I need to stop looking at that or listening to that. It's taking me down the wrong way. Or it's desensitizing me. It's making me insensitive to ungodliness. I, just, I need to stop that. It's causing me to drift. Now, I don't know how this sermon is hitting you right now, but if you have a sense of conviction, here's, here's what I want to tell you. This is not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps sermon, okay? This has to be done with the aid of Jesus in you, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk by His Spirit. Not, I'm, not go home, I mean, hey, I'm all for practical measures, but ultimately it needs to be Christ in you doing this. And I want to encourage you from the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are to not do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So, again, this is not a a try-harder sermon. This is a return to Jesus and let him live his life in you and through you sermon. And maybe we're not as urgent about this. <laughs> we want to take our time kind of returning back to him. But Jesus is very urgent about it. Second half of verse 3. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you? So here's my question. Are we surprised that Jesus is so urgent about this? This like a thief language is the language Jesus would use when he talked about his return. That's how he talked about it. It's going to be like a thief in the night. And it is the language of judgment. And he warned his disciples to be ready Because he's going to come at a time when no one's really going to be aware of it. Like a thief in the night, when no one expects it. And so he tells a a series of parables in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 to help explain this. Bless you. 
He talks about what it was like in the days of Noah in Matthew 24, verses uh, uh, 36 through 41. He says, hey, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given to marriage, and then the flood came. They were surprised. Not in a good way. Be ready. Don't be surprised. He, he talked in a parable about a servant in verses 45 through 51 of chapter 24 of Matthew. A servant waiting for his master to return. And he became impatient. Yeah, yeah, sure, he's going to return. He became impatient. He became abusive. He became a drunkard. He became unfaithful. And then the surprise came. The master returned in the parable. And that servant was not given a slap on the hand. It says he was cut into pieces and placed outside with the hypocrites. Which is apropos. Because in the hypocrite it says, I believe one thing, but is living something completely different. A place of gnashing of teeth, which is the language of hell. And then in chapter 25, verses 1 through 10 in Matthew, he tells a, a parable about ten virgins, five who are wise, five who are foolish, waiting for the bridegroom to come, to arrive, and take the bride and, and the wedding party. And so they go out, and five have brought extra oil to be prepared, didn't bring anything. And then the announcement comes, the bridegroom is coming. And they say, hey, hey, can, can you loan us some of, the, some of the oil? No. We may not have enough. We came prepared. Go find some. And so they left, tried to get themselves prepared. In the meantime, the bridegroom came, gathered the, the groom and the, the bride and the wedding party, and went into the wedding and they shut the door and they came knocking a little bit later hey 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 would you let us in and he says depart from me i never knew you that's not a good surprise they weren't ready this is not about predicting the day when jesus returns too many have foolishly done that this is about being ready with a living faith when he returns. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith? That, that's what he's looking for. A live faith of following him. That's what he's looking for. You know, when I was first investigating full-time ministry, I spent three years in Santa Barbara. There's a Christian college there where I used to spend a lot of time with students. I remember having a conversation with actually a few of the, the men's students there, we talk about the following Christ. And they said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know that's important. But, you know, I'm kind of ha busy having fun right now. Which meant living in disobedience. But, you know, later on I'll get serious about my relationship with Christ. And I was thinking, that's foolishness. First of all, because you don't understand the, the fragility of life. But number two, your, your heart is practicing the wrong habits. And it's going to lead you astray. 
unless there's a work of the Holy Spirit in you, you're going to have a hard time turning around. It's perilous for the soul. Dead faith is no faith. And all you can expect is judgment. And the tragedy about that attitude is they were kind of playing Russian roulette with their faith and when Jesus would return. So, you know, I talked about some people I grew up with who are no longer following Jesus today. Maybe that's true of some of your friends. I don't know. Why'd they stop? I can't tell you. Each, each individual is different. Maybe they met somebody who's not a Christian and got romantically involved with them. They married them and that person wasn't following Christ and so that person just led them away. Maybe there's hurt or disappointment. They got hurt in the church. And they said, I'm never returning. Unfortunately, they, they put their eyes on the church rather than the Christ of the church. Or maybe it's because it just costs too much. It's, it's hard going against your family or at your job or you know, in your society, in your friend group. I, I don't know. Or there are other things that distract you. You know, yeah, I, I like Jesus, but man, I love hunting. Man, I, I love crafting. Man, I love sailing. Whatever it is, it's something that's taken them away. But I think one of the things, one of the reasons why people stop following Jesus is this. Is he's not meeting their expectations. And they have some expectations about Jesus, how he's going to meet them, and he hasn't met them, at least in their mind. And here's my, here's my question with this. Are we surprised that what Jesus offers is himself? Are we surprised that what Jesus actually offers us is himself? Let's read again verses uh, 4 and 5. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You know, oftentimes when we talk to people about following Jesus, we talk about the abundant life that he offers. John 10.10. 10. You know, the enemy only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it to the full or the abundant life. But what does that look like? What does that look like? Because Jesus does not promise for following him financial success. Jesus does not promise in following him that all your dreams will come true. Jesus does not promise that you'll find the perfect spouse or that you'll have perfect kids or that you'll have perfect health or that you won't face disappointment in life. And I think a lot of people hit those roadblocks 
And they say, if Jesus isn't giving me these things, then I'm not going to follow him. In the sense, we want the gift more than we want the giver. Do we demand those things from him and following him? What Jesus offers is himself. And all that that entails, and a lot of that is from an eternal perspective. Again, this is what Jesus says. Yet you have a few people, literally you have a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Folks that are continuing in their faith and following Jesus. They have not soiled themselves by being conformed to the world around them. Jesus knows their names. And he says, they will walk with me. Do we want the reward of walking with unveiled fellowship with the creator of the universe, just like it was in the garden where he used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, just like Genesis 3.8. Do we want that? To have that unfettered, unveiled fellowship with him. Because that's where it's going, folks. That's where the end of the book ends up. Back in Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And they and be their God. He's going to be with us face to face. You go on a little bit longer, there's no need for sun because his glory is lighting everything. But he will be with us face to face. Unfettered, unbridled fellowship with him. They'll be dressed in white for they are worthy. White is a symbol of purity or righteousness. But this worthiness is from, not from himself or herself. Rather, it is walking, rather, it is Christ and his righteousness on display. As he, that person is clothed in his righteousness. Again, looking at the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him that is God the Father that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I think of the hymn lyric that says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's what that person is rewarded. And then he says, the one who's victorious the one that does these things will be like them, dressed in white, and will, I will never blot out the name, there's that, that phrase again, of that person from the book of life. And I will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Your name will be found in the book of life and will remain forever because of your faith in Christ. You'll experience salvation and be rescued from eternal judgment. 
toward the end of Revelation, again, it talks about one's name being found in the book of life. Revelation 21, 27. And if your name isn't found in that book, you can't enter the new heaven and the new earth. You can't enter the new Jerusalem. But that's what he gives us. Our name found in his book of life. And also that Jesus will acknowledge our name before God the Father and before his angels. Saying, this one is with me. She is with me. He is with me. They are covered by my blood. Abba, Father, they are your child. Because they acknowledge me before others, before men and women. It really is a, a culmination of the promise Jesus made in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge, also, also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Are we surprised that what Jesus offers us is himself? And here's the question. Do we want him? Do we want him? And all that he offers, that is unveiled, fellowship with him, that he will Wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. We'll be dressed in His purity. Our names will be in the book of life. You'll be a citizen of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the family of God, acknowledged by, by the Son of God before the, God the Father in all of heaven, and so much more. Eternal life. In His presence there's fullness of joy. In His right hand there are pleasures forever. And to be known or to know as we are fully known. Do we want Him? Do we want Him? And to not let ourselves be discouraged because heaven is not yet here on earth. Not let ourselves be discouraged because heaven is not yet here on earth. Now this passage is super challenging. It causes all of us to do some soul searching. So, Lord Jesus, have I... Now, there is where I'm straying from you. And that's good. Because he wants to give us life. He wants us to experience all the life that he has for us. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to come and say, Lord Jesus, draw me back to yourself. Let me return to you. And for those of us who look inside and say, you know what? I'm, I'm remaining faithful to remain faithful. To continue in the faith. And to not have that blind spot. That place where we think, oh, I've got this. Well, we're not vigilant. But to keep our eyes on Him. Because He doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to be surprised when He comes back. And last of all, you may... <laughs> There might be somebody in this room who's just going, I, man, pastor, I, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I want to tell you that he is offering life to you today. Some simple statements that God makes from his word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He's offering you life abundant that starts here on earth and life eternal that goes into eternity. It's not an easy life. It's not a life that seals you from disappointment, but it's a life that's a good life, a joyous life, the best life, and continues into eternity. Instead of an empty cistern of what this world offers. And maybe today, you want to receive that life, that it can continue into eternity. No matter where you are, no matter where you are, hear what God wants to say to you. That's how this, how this whole thing ends. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's listen. Let's hear. Let's respond. So that we won't be unpleasantly surprised. But rather joyously surprised. Let me pray. And then I'll invite the worship team up here.